And welcome to Alzheimer Speaks Radio. I'm your host and founder of Alzheimer Speaks, Lori LeBay. Um, I hope you all kicked off a, a great New Year's here. I'm looking forward to 2017. Uh, before we get started with our show today, I always like to tell people a little bit about us because we're always getting new listeners. So for those of you that are new to us, um, Alzheimer Speaks is basically an advocacy-based company providing multiple platforms to shift our dementia care culture from crisis to comfort around the world. We believe that by joining forces and sharing knowledge and just having these everyday conversations about life with dementia, that we can remove the stigmas attached to memory loss and really help people continue to live with purpose. And today is going to be a perfect example of that. So I can't wait to get to our conversation. Another um, element at our core of Alzheimer Speaks is we really believe that collaboration is the only way that we're going to win this battle against dementia. And I know it's working thanks to all of you. You see your clicks, your likes, your shares of all of our resources, not just the radio show, but the blog, the website, our dementia chats, videos where our experts have dementia. Um, when you share these resources, you're having a huge impact on raising awareness for Alzheimer's and other types of dementias. Um, not only are you helping those diagnosed, but those also caring for people, both family and professionals. And because of your likes, your clicks, and your shares with your Facebook friends, your LinkedIn colleagues, your Twitter tribes, your Pinterest peeps, you got us named as the number one influencer online for Alzheimer's, according to Share Care and Dr. Oz. We're also thrilled that we just got recognized by Maria Shriver as an um, architect of change for humanity, which was also really cool, uh, just the end of November here. So again, I, I thank each and every one of you. I also want to invite our listeners to be part of the show. You see, you can um, have a conversation with us through the chat box, or maybe you have a story that we need to hear. Maybe you're a person diagnosed and living with the disease, like our next guest, Bob Savage, um, and my co-host, Paul Ann Gordon. Maybe you're caring for somebody with dementia. Maybe it's a loved one. Maybe you're a professional in the industry. Uh, maybe you're a researcher or an advocate. Have you written a book, a song, a movie? I mean, everything is game. Again, we believe collaboration and sharing stories is really the only way we are going to be able to make an impact on, uh, on dementia. Um, I also want to give a shout out to um, calendar cards because they have um, <clears throat> actually volunteered to coordinate where memory cafes are in the U.S. And you can find that information on our radio page. Just uh, scroll down. And you can go ahead and click on that, or you can go to alzheimerspeaks.com. Same with the care um, call alert center. Uh, and there's one specifically for caregivers, which is absolutely fantastic, and it's very reasonable. And if somebody were to wander, it's a great way to be able to help support in finding them very, very quickly. 
So let's go ahead and introduce our guest today. Um, we are going to be talking with Bob Savage, um, who is now facing the challenge of his life. You see, Bob was diagnosed in 2015 as um, having early stages of Alzheimer's. And today we're going to hear his story on how he turned a really difficult situation into a defining moment in his life. Once again, in Bob's life, he is helping others through a troubling time in their own life by creating community and tapping creative abilities. You see, Bob's history is he worked in the marketing division of a real high-profile corporation in New York City for 10 years. He also worked for the state of New Jersey, creating and managing substance abuse programs for 35 years for the state of Connecticut. And he created and managed a nonprofit program for over 10 years, which became known as the Connecticut Community for Addiction Recovery, CCAR, which is now recognized in the U.S. and some other countries as well as a model program. So Bob really gets how to build community and, and shift focuses. So welcome, Bob. How are you today? I'm doing very well, thank you, and I've been looking forward to this. Well, I am too. Um, before we get started in our questions, I also want to introduce my co-host today. Pauline Gordon um, <clears throat> is just a fabulous woman as a whole. She too is living with dementia, and she is one of our experts on our Dementia Chats videos where we get such profound insights from those living with dementia. So how are you doing today, Pauline? I'm I'm doing great, Lori. Glad to be here. Um, can you also mention to people about the book you wrote? Because I just think that that's so critically important for people to know about. Sure. I um, wrote a book entitled Vascular Dementia, an Inside Perspective. And it, it truly is an inside perspective. It is not a technical book about dementia. It just is about my personal experiences. It's um, available on Amazon.com. And if you, you can find it under my name, and it's P-A-U-L-A-N-G-O-R-D-O-N. And uh, it's available if you're a Kindle subscriber, it's free to download. Or if you're not, you can download it for 99 cents. Wonderful. So it's quite a, quite a bargain. Yeah, well, and it's loaded with great information, and I highly encourage um, both families and professionals to, to take a peek at that. Um, it's it's definitely worth the investment. Let's go to Bob. Bob, can you share with our audience about how you dealt with your diagnosis when when you first heard those words that you had early stage Alzheimer's back in March of 2015? What did that feel like? Terrible. <laughs> uh, and I'll I bet have to go any further. Yeah, I bet no, no one's going to argue with what, that one. What happened was. Uh, I'm a strong denier of anything like that, so I actually had three diagnoses before I reluctantly accepted it. Okay. And uh, what happened then, I was, gracious, I was lucky enough to become part of a dementia Alzheimer treatment team at the Hartford Hospital where you have a uh, doctor who is uh, an expert in the area, you have a, uh, a social worker, and you also have a nurse. Mm-hmm. And you also have a, I have a private counselor, who is a, who uh, is can share information. So I have four people there, who are uh, really uh, 
follow, following me up and giving me advice and, and that sort of thing. And they're very talented people, so I feel very, very privileged about that. Well, wonderful. Um, what happened was, uh, both my wife and I, because uh, this hits the caregiver as hard as it hits the, sometimes I think more more difficult for the caregiver. For the first, I, I do art. I do abstract art. And I didn't do abstract art before I had Alzheimer's. And I write poetry, which I never did before. So I, I'm, I'm in a very creative period of my life. And what I have done is... Uh, I have now 10 paintings uh, showing my story from the day I got my doses until almost today. And what's so excellent about that is, is the emotional feelings that I was going through comes out in this abstract art. And there was no way I could ever go back and try and recapture that. So and I'm also writing poetry around the same time, which I never did before. A funny story is uh, we have this really excellent relationship with our Alzheimer's Association where they have agreements with two different museums, the Mattatuck Museum in Waterbury, Connecticut, and the um, St. Joseph Gallery in West Hartford, Connecticut. And you go, it's a tour that you go, and uh, both caregivers and people with Alzheimer's are part of it, and some staff. And uh, they describe the art, and then you have a chance to ask questions and that sort of thing. And what I found, I've been doing this now for about a, uh, almost two years. Mm-hmm. And what I found is the only because I do a lot of I attend a lot of support groups, and this is the only place I know where you can have caregivers, and you can have people with Alzheimer's sharing the same experience and enjoying it, and. And so, so uh, I was doing the art, and and in uh, the poetry, what I'd write the poem, and I'd go back to read it the next at the next month. We did these every month, mm-hmm. and I said uh, I became known as a poet laureate <laughs> of I don't remember club. Uh-huh. <laughs> what we find is humor and laughter is such a powerful thing in this whole process. So I did, you know, in, in doing that. So, but the art and the so for about three months after I got the diagnosis, I just went down, really down. And there are a lot of a lot of negative thoughts going on in my brain around that, because what happens when you first get the diagnosis, you think you're in the nursing home. Mm-hmm. You think of that possibility, and nobody in their right mind wants to be in a nursing home with no cognitive ability. So. So that, that's where I was. That's where I was, you know. And uh, finally, after about three months, I was fortunate enough. I've been going to support groups, which I fought. <laughs> I was a nasty guy in my support group. <laughs> but finally, finally, I started to get a little bit of light saying, wow, you know, this could be something. This could be a period of time in my life where there could be something positive. No, 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 no. I'd rather stay dark. <laughs> mm-hmm. But but I finally, by the fourth month, I was starting to write, do more painting. I was starting to be more honest with people about my Alzheimer's. Uh, I was starting to be less defensive. I was starting to see, and 
And it was around that time that I started to realize, I'm 85, so right away my trajectory is shortening. Mm -hmm. But at 85, you can still negotiate death. You can still, (laughs) another year, what the hell, you know. (laughs) But if if you have Alzheimer's, and the way I describe it is, if you're 85 and the Alzheimer's train is coming, <laughs> there's no more negotiation. The pressure's on. You have to start to live your life now, right? Mm-hmm. So it's an advantage to have Alzheimer's in that circumstance. Okay. Because most of us will procrastinate. Will, unless you have a deadline, unless you have something pushing you against a wall, you're not going to do much of anything. You're mm-hmm. going to wait. You're going to wait, right? So in, a, in essence, in a very short uh, description of my trajectory, uh, and what I found, just to finish this, is that the, the excitement of my creativity is getting more and more each day. Even though there's this dark thing that follows me around at night, I have nightmares at night, I also know that Alzheimer's coming. I don't like the fact that I have Alzheimer's. I mean, that's still there. Mm-hmm. However, I'm living a very exciting life in so many ways that it would have never been possible without Alzheimer's. Now, most people by this time would hang up. <laughs> <laughs> this guy's on drugs. <laughs> <laughs> How can that be? I want to ask Paul Ann a question here. Paul yeah. Ann, did you go through kind of a dark period like Bob's describing once you got diagnosed? I did. I think the first thing, I was 57 when I was diagnosed, and that was four years ago, and um, I was in shock, you know, because I was not that old, and and um, I, I, you know, had a high intellect and all of this, and when I found out I had dementia, I just didn't know what to do, so I think I did go through a dark period. I think four months is pretty good. Bob, and um, to to come through that and to make such positive efforts to help other people, I think that's just fantastic. It took me a little while, but... um, Well, uh, one thing uh, I have to say is it's been a year and a half now, so what I'm talking about now is is longer than six months. Mm, Yes. Because it takes a while. It takes a while, and you slip. It takes a while, and you slip. Okay, so I'm sorry for interrupting, but I, I didn't want to give the people the impression that in six months I was saved, sort of. Mm-hmm. No, no, I understand. Yeah, I'm sure you do. Well, good. Well, Bob, why don't why don't we talk a little bit? You had mentioned, you know, you you really kind of pushed back on support groups, and you were kind of their worst nightmare when you started. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I really can't quote. On mm-hmm. the radio, what I, my first words were. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that kind of sums it up. I think everyone's imagination can fill that one now. But I can tell you this. The people's eyes got very wide. Mm-hmm. And the first thing they were thinking, how are we going to get rid of this dude? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it worked out. Well, and it's it's kind of funny and ironic in a way because, you know, with the work that you did in terms of forming and developing um, kind of cutting-edge support for um, people with substance abuse. Yes, and, it, it, it followed this very well. Yep. And so, I mean, that was something that was in your life. But, you know, when something tackles us from behind, um, we don't always go as willing participants <laughs> when it's not our idea. 
I, I thought you would be one of those rare people. <laughs> yeah, and so it it makes it a little a little tougher. Um, I know. Yeah, I, I'm very fortunate in that way because a lot. Of, uh, it took me ten years to create that program mm-hmm. out of my bedroom. Mm-hmm. Well, after a while, after a year, I started getting money and I kind of went of the bedroom. But it took ten years before I retired from it, and now it's and it it was ready to turn over to someone else, and I went off somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, these are not easy things to do, but the, the important thing is I learned so much from that, the naysayers and you can't do this. And to me, I learned from the more the naysayers are, the more reason to keep pushing mm-hmm. because there's so many people out there ordinarily that will try to discourage anyone from standing up and trying to do something. And so I, I've been very, I, I use the word blessed very rarely, but very blessed to have the experience that I've had over my 30 years or 40 years to prepare myself for where I am right now with Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. Now, when I first was diagnosed I, and I got involved in the support groups, I was very fortunate to find one that actually offered a mentoring program where they hooked you up with someone who had had dementia, been diagnosed for a while, several, a couple of years or whatever, and um, they kind of helped to smooth the way. I found that was tremendously helpful. It mm. taught me, not only did it help me, but it taught me to carry forth and do the same thing with others. Yes, so I right. mentor a number of individuals right now and try to help people who are newly mm. diagnosed. What's amazing with that is you're really mentoring yourself as you're doing that. Isn't that right? Yes, definitely. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Well, I think it just brings home the point that, you know, um, we are relationship-based, and when we give, we receive. You know, it's That's not it's not a one-way street, and, no. and we can all grow together yeah. um, by, yeah. by sharing and being supportive and compassionate. And, um, there, I mean, there's just beautiful life lessons wrapped in, in all yeah. of this, um, if we allow it to come to us. Now, Bob, you had, you had mentioned about um, the museum ter- tours for those with Alzheimer's yeah. and, and other types of dementias. Do you want to talk a oh, little bit more about I'd, that? I'd like to. I'd like to. There's two museums that are involved. Uh, one is, a, a, is part of the St. Joseph University, and it's a comparatively small gallery, but the, the person who runs the museum Loves art more than any other person I've ever seen. When she talks about the art that she's presenting, she'll pick maybe six or seven pieces of art. Mm-hmm. And when she talks about that, you can almost see in her eyes that she just loves this stuff. And, and so uh, it so happened that both at St. Joseph's and at the Mattituck Museum, it was all abstract art. Now, before I started this, these tours, my relationship with abstract art is I'd walk in, see an abstract art collection, say, oh, that's a nice red, and get the heck out because there's no way I could figure out what was going on. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, what this is, now how this works, and this is uh, sponsored by the uh, uh, Stage Association, is we get there uh, at 10 o'clock in the morning, mm-hmm. and we have coffee and that sort of thing, and then we, we take the tour, and then we sit afterwards and talk about the art. And then now at the Mattituck, we have an hour where you can take courses in art. There's a young lady who's an artist that comes in and tries to teach you about art. So, And the laughter 
and the joy that goes on during that whole period is unbelievable. <laughs> then you go, now, now St. Joseph, I have to give you one experience there that uh, was so exciting to me. There were five pieces of art, of artists, different artists from Venezuela, and they're all abstract, mm-hmm. very abstract. And so there were 12 of us sitting down in front of these paintings, and there were caregivers, and there were artists. I mean, there were uh, people with Alzheimer's and staff, that you know, that sort of thing. So she, then she talked about it, and then she says, what do you see? Well, what happened was it was quiet for about five minutes, and somebody got brave enough to say, well, I see a pimple or I see something. And then I tell you, within 15 minutes, everybody was raising their hand. Everybody was seeing something different. And the laughter, there was actually crying. I tell you, I'm not exaggerating. This whole thing was going on, and it was so exciting. And I learned from that experience, you never go see abstract art alone. Because if you look alone at a piece of abstract, all you see is what you see. If other people see it, it's contagious. And so, uh, so I learned a lot from abstract art at both these, these museums during that period of time. That's how I got involved with painting and color and that sort of thing. So, uh, and then at the very end, uh, we have lunch, mm-hmm. and it's catered by a very good restaurant. And, and we talk and exchange ideas. And so it's a wonderful day to look forward to. And it's the same the case with both museums. One, it's, each is once a month and the other is once a month, but they don't counter, counter with, with each other. So it's, it's, a, it's a highly neutral type of a thing. Because caregivers, as you know, have the unique issues which sometimes are even more harder to handle than the people at Alzheimer's. But there is a difference in how this is being taken. If you ever have a neutral place where caregivers and people at Alzheimer's come together and join themselves, grab it. <laughs> yeah, well, that's one of the things I love about the Memory Cafe because that's, that's what we, yeah. we do there. We don't yeah. do the arts. Um, Paul Ann, have you done anything with the arts yourself? I I have nothing to that extent. Um, I used adult coloring books, and where they already have the designs, and you just pick the colors and color them in. And while it's not a very sophisticated form of art, I find it very relaxing, and it mm-hmm. kind of leads me into a state of meditation. Um, nothing else, nothing around me. It, it's like it's all gone. I'm I'm just there with the art. Mm-hmm. So I do kind of understand on a very low level, because my art skills are very low, um, the feeling that you can get from becoming involved Mm. with art. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah, so it's very educational, and it's also, uh, it it was those things that started to show up as positive elements in this whole process, where you start to see things differently. Mm-hmm. than if you didn't have Alzheimer's or some other form of dementia. You start to see things in a way that, uh, and that start is what helps you move ahead. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's wonderful. Um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit, too, about your, um, you know, how you started writing the poetry and painting the abstract mm. and, you know how how did that occur? Was it did that come out of your museum tours, or was there another uh, something else that triggered uh, yeah. that? I, I think it uh, the germ was set in those museum tours because 
what that did, the, the tours and then the expert, the, the curator and these other people, they started to talk about art in a way that was much more meaningful than any other experience I had. And I can tell you a couple of quick stories, uh, one story about this. The first six months I was writing poetry about my, my depression. It took me about six months of depression before I started to come out of it. And I was starting, I was, all my poetry was feeding my depression in a positive way. I, you know, it wasn't making me more depressed. Mm-hmm. i give you one example. There was a, a, a sculptor by the name of Don Gummer, who was famous in Connecticut, who I never knew before that. But he had a wonderful display. And, and up on the wall was a f- five-by-five piece of sculpture. With, and then it came out about a foot. And in, in in that square was a, probably 150 sticks of all different sizes, different angles. So, being a, you know, I, I love a little humor. I stand underneath and say, "Hey, folks, look at this." I said, "Imagine if a thought could ever get in there. Would it ever get out?" And there was laughter. Some was laughter. Some was nervous. Mm-hmm. So I call that my mesh, right? Mm-hmm. And at that time, I wasn't painting yet. And then for about six tours, I'd first thing I'd do, this was sick almost, I'd find my mesh and I could relax. (laughs) (laughs) But then I come to one piece of art after about six months. I found my mesh. Sometimes I go back to the museum just to study the art more because I was starting to get more and more fascinated in art. And I went back and I, I again appreciated my mesh wrote a poem about my mesh. But then I, a little further, I come across a very simple, all it was was a typewritten page. It was called the uh, photocopy. Mm-hmm. And it was a uh, red words and black words with no sentences, no resemblance, just words, 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 words. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the red and the black were interspersed in no, no particular way. It was just a mess over there. The thing that hit me then was color. What impact does color have on our emotions? I went then to the online and unbelievable information about color, how the positive and the negative and all that sort of thing. And that's when I stopped writing poetry and started painting. Okay. It was at that moment. And at the time, uh, I was living separate from the family because of all this chaos that was going on. It's now that chaos has subsided a lot. And I, I, I started, I go to this Blick store for, for art supplies, and there was this young artist there, a number of young artists, and they would, when I had a problem, they'd help me. Mm-hmm. And so I started, I started uh, my painting. As soon as I started painting, my poetry stopped quite a bit. I still write a little bit, but it's mostly art now. So one day, I, I was living by myself with my brother, isolated from everybody else, and I wake up at 2 o'clock, and I'd already bought some art and all that, and I said, what am I going to do with that? I woke up at 2 o'clock in the morning, and I said, you know, I'm getting all sorts of these ideas about a possibility. So I get up at 2 o'clock and started painting. Mm-hmm. And what came out of it? I don't want to keep talking all the time so that I want to have other chance, but I'm going to end this very quickly. There's a river. I, I, up in the upper left hand of the painting was a lake, and it was dark blue. 
And then there was this, this the river goes swerves all the way down to the bottom of the art, and there's another lake. It's the same lake but at a different location. Then I have uh, cows, horses, and <laughs> houses, and all at, where the stream goes through. Then I have streams coming into the when it leaves. When it left the first lake, it was pretty pure. Then I had a stream coming in with tacks and plangles. Mm-hmm. And that started to muddy the water. And the water started to get muddy. Then a little later, and this is exactly what's going on right now with the four of us. <laughs> we're start, I'm building new cells now as I talk, as I listen. So coming out of another stream is all these white cells coming in. And that lightens the water. Well, this goes all the way around the painting until it comes down to the other lake. Mm -hmm. And as a result of all the the action and the taking of what I'm doing is the lake now is much lighter than it was before. And and the the answer to that to me at that time is you've got to be very creative. You've got to be very active. You've got to be creating new cells all the time. And that was my first painting. Then from then on, it's, it's some interesting stuff. I think that's a, a just phenomenal that you were able to do that and find another I, a purpose. It's like finding another purpose in life. I think one it, of the things that's exactly that, right. I shocked the heck out of myself. In fact, I was ashamed to show my brother. <laughs> <laughs> he says, <laughs> anyway. So uh, that painting helped me to create a lot of stuff after that because mm-hmm. what it did. I've, I've talked about these 10 paintings, and when I talk about the paintings, I'm telling my story. Mm-hmm. Everything in, on the artist is a, uh, telling my story where I was at the time. And it's almost like a, a note, only it's in art, about the, the story of my Alzheimer's. Okay, enough of that. I'm taking too much time. No, you're doing great. It's very, very interesting. Um, I have a question. So did you finally share your paintings with your brother, and what did he think? Well, he didn't say much until his girlfriend came and approved him. (laughs) (laughs) Somehow or other that, uh, because he kept saying, that's my brother. (laughs) (laughs) My brother's not an artist, right? No, he wasn't too excited. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was only, I had, I've done, I, by that time I had seven paintings that was locked up in my room and nobody was seeing. And I was on the hunt. Uh, we have three different associations related to Alzheimer's in the state. And I kept knocking in the doors to see where I could find some help. Right. And I really spent a lot of time searching them. And right now I still have the three. And they're all helping me in their unique way. But each one, there's one, the Alzheimer's Resource Center is the one where I found a home. Mm-hmm. I found a home, and when this, the director of the, this is very touching. I brought my art in and met with the director of the program, and he took them all and hugged them. And... What I did from that moment on, I donated my, my whew, I, get, I still get emotional about this stuff. I donated my paintings to that, to that organization. Oh, and they're now in his office. Wow. Right? The alternative was, I didn't want to give them up. 
you know, mm-hmm. but you know, what the hell are they going to be if they're in my room? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so he, they provided so much to me in so many other ways. And it was also a little selfish in the sense that if I give them this, maybe they'll work more with me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, so I'm very fortunate. Wonderful. Now, Bob, another thing that, you know, we get a lot of questions about, and you touched on it just a hair, but I'm wondering if you wouldn't mind going in a little deeper. Did, you know, your diagnosis with dementia affect your relationships with family and friends? And if so, can you tell us how? Well, I have to tell you, in all honesty, uh, my wife and I are still struggling with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I found is that the uh, caregiver out of love is trying to help you. And the Alzheimer person doesn't want necessarily want to repeat love of the same thing every day. You know, so that there's a dynamic that takes place between the caregiver and the Alzheimer's that doesn't show up in any, any of the support groups. Mm-hmm. And and so, uh, as far as my my family is concerned, I have four kids and I have ten grandkids. Uh, I have uh, they, they all live within one. One lives in two hours. The other lives within one hour where I live. So I I try to have dinner and lunch with them uh, once a month, so they can follow Daddy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they look at me kind of funny, like, and sometimes I push their button, but. Uh, so, so they're following me as I go along. So it's not going to be any surprise that someday my wife's going to say he's in a nursing home. So, and, and that helps me to be able to do it. I'm still making white, um, white cells <laughs> and I'm talking to them honestly about my Alzheimer's. There's no, they can ask me any questions and I'll answer it as much as possible. Uh, as far as my friends are concerned, uh, I have five friends now who I've known for quite a period of time, but our agreement is, that, and we meet, uh, one I meet every Saturday for, for breakfast, mm-hmm. and our agreement is that he's going to be very honest with me and what he observes if there's any change. And the other five have that agreement as well. And so I have this, these friends, I have my wife, and I have this treatment team looking out for me and, and they're going to, and I can believe the feedback. I, I might deny it overnight, <laughs> you know, and the bell is starting to ring. I might deny it overnight, mm-hmm. but if enough people are starting to see it, then there's a sense of reality that sets in. So, so, uh, I find that, uh, again, with Alzheimer's, I think my friendships are closer now. Uh, they all have their own issues. They're very honest with their issues. We have, we share the feedback and so it's a very productive breakfast or lunch or whatever interaction we have. And so uh, with my wife, we're working very hard. We're always working, always working. She's going to support groups. I'm going to support groups. And uh, if I may, I'd like to add a quick thing here is that I started a uh, support group for people with Alzheimer's, early stage Alzheimer's where only people with early onset Alzheimer's are part of the group. Mm-hmm. Strict confidentiality. 
completely free to bring in what you want. Then we have two young social workers that are parked there. And their role, their their role is to is to one of it is to, well. What happens is, you know, you have this crisis come along where somebody's at an advanced stage, and how do you transition out? Mm-hmm. It's very hard for the people themselves to help that person to transition out. And so uh, we're working on places to transition to, mm-hmm. and we can follow them. So, so here's what happened. We've had now four meetings. We have a meeting tomorrow. We're up and out about seven people. The very first meeting, we went through. I went. I worked. I developed a whole procedure about what we have to follow. How, uh, every day, every time we meet. Uh, we have a certain time restriction. Uh, there's a time element. There's this and uh, this sort of thing. So it's a very structured meeting. What happened is within, I swear, within three minutes, our heart were pouring out about the issues related to the relationship between caregivers and, and uh, people with Alzheimer's. And the, what comes out of that, and we're working on that, is to come up with a training where... The caregiver will have the right vocabulary, which most don't know yet, and the Alzheimer's will have this right vocabulary and how to deal with it that neutralizes that terrible pain that's going through, mm-hmm. where it's not somebody picking on you or somebody, you know, that sort of thing. So we're working on that training. But the important thing was that, that if you have that safe place where you can be honest, there's a whole different uh way of support that comes up and is asked for. Well, that's I would definitely agree with that. I think that's one thing I've experienced. Um, I was never very much of an outgoing person, but as I became involved in support groups and as I started mentoring people, the relationships are so honest that they become yes. so intimate and strong, incredibly strong, you know, much yes. more so than any friendships I had ever had in the past. That's right. That's right, because there's a complete honesty. Mm-hmm. A complete honesty, because there, there you can risk. There you can say what you want. And it's, a, it's refreshing to be able to do that, because if you're in the dynamic itself, you'll learn that uh, you're going to not. You know, either you will or you won't, or you know, that sort of thing. But when you're in that safe and prime, as you describe it, you want to well, talk. I think, <laughs> I think you also get tips from other people. Who are going through the same situation? Yes, too. yes, yeah. That's part of this group is we're learning from each other on how to deal with our daily failings or advances in a way that's not available anywhere else. You know, and uh, so it, it's, I think these support groups are excellent. Well, I think it's wonderful. You know, the um, I see it in the memory cafes where. The, vul- yeah. the vulnerability and the authentic conversations are oh, so powerful. And people can come in kind of kicking and screaming, I don't want to be part of this. And then they, they just, they kind of melt because... I don't know anything about that kicking and screaming <laughs> stuff. Yeah. Um, because it is, it's just so powerful and so beautiful. And people are so appreciative of it, um, you know, to really be able to speak openly and honestly. I mean, we don't do that. In society, Never. very often we're, we're trained not to. But you know, you know what happens out of this too hmm. is your life improves 
over and above Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. The ability to be able to share some of those deepest feelings, you face them in other situations as well, but there's no mechanism in where you can share them. And so what you'll learn, when I'm learning, I have to talk about me, when I'm learning in these support groups, carries over to many other situations. So it's not only Alzheimer's we're dealing with, it's, it's a good... <laughs> It's a good way, a good coaching way of how to live your life. Well, yeah, and it, it, I think it does strengthen us to become more honest and truthful. Wow. You realize how much time you're wasting and how complicated things get when, when we're not honest. So I, I remember, you know, I, uh, Emerson was one of my favorite authors. Mm-hmm. He said, you tell a lie, you've got to remember it. <laughs> tell the true. truth, you don't have to. Yep. And if you're if you're up to fifteen lies, you're you're done. <laughs> <laughs> the truth is not easy. Yep, yep. But it's, it's not easy. But again, so much to learn from that. Well, Bob, we have to talk about your Hello Light program, oh, um, which yeah. is something that you developed and produced in just a six month period. And yeah. um, tell tell our audience about that. I think this is fascinating. Well. It was, uh, this started about a year after I had my diagnosis. And by that time, I was painting. And by that time, I had no idea what I was doing. And how it all started was, uh, my wife's involved in another fascinating project that has nothing to do with Alzheimer's. And I was there taking care of the dog. They weren't too interested in what I had to say. <laughs> and so I got bored, and I walked out, and this is in a small town in Connecticut where they have refurbished old factory buildings. Mm-hmm. Walked in right next door, there was a 15 art studios. I said, God, God. So I, you know, I, I'm a little brazen. Uh, I learned that you've got to stick your neck out a little bit. I knock on the door, and I said, can I talk to you? I said, yeah. And she said, well, I don't do that sort of thing, but Rosemary's down there. So I went and see Rosemary, and she said, well, but I know Mary. So after about the fourth one, I hit hit bingo. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They said, you know, she said, wow, this sounds interesting, right? This sounds very interesting. And so they became... My first core. Uh, I told him what I was doing. I'd, I'd done some. I had done four paintings by that time, and I brought him with me and showed him. And there was uh, there were four of them, and one had never done art at all. She had different. She was art in some different way, and uh, so I started. And I, 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 I told him. I said, you know, I said we can talk together and see what we can do around cre- creating some art together. I had no idea what was coming down the pike. Mm-hmm. So I made a point to go there once a month. I, I got to love these people. They were people who were from a small town doing art that nobody cared about. <laughs> yeah, nobody cared. So, so here comes this old dude. <laughs> and I really cared about art. So... So what happened during that four-month period was I started to know them very well. And uh, one of them who did these said, I don't paint, I don't paint. I said, well, you got to paint. Well, I don't do, well, you got to do abstract art. It was, 
later on, when I started to think of the possibility of color light, and it might be on the stage. Well, I'm not going to the stage. You're going on the stage, and you're going to do abstract art, right? <laughs> and so that process. And then, then I started. Uh, oh God. I I started talking to people in early stages about, I'm trying to find people who are willing to be crazy enough to go with me in this thing. Mm -hmm. And I found one woman who's one of my closest friends who is willing, but most of them say, I don't know. know, I'm afraid that if I get up there, I might embarrass you, that sort of stuff. And so I found them. And then I started looking for poets who are willing to write some poetry or had written some poetry. And I, I have a friend of mine who was a poet, and uh, he said he'd write a poem for me. Mm-hmm. Well, that, now I have an artist and I have a poet. And then I started, uh, then I have a friend of mine who I met probably a year and a half ago through another introduction of another friend. And he's a, a, a um, folk singer professional folk singer and he's traveled the country still travels he's older now so he doesn't have as many gigs but he knows how to perform and he knows that sort of thing so we got to know each other and we meet at once a month for lunch i just left him today two hours ago mm-hmm. and uh so at the time see he was going through this similar type of depression and that nobody's calling him anymore <laughs> Mm-hmm. You know, for a while, when he was in his 40s, he said, oh, that darn phone is ringing again. How am I going to do it? Now it doesn't ring anymore. And so that, in a way, it closely relates to Alzheimer's. You know? mm-hmm. So so he was going through that uh, transition period of accepting the fact that it, it's probably over or it's going to be minimal. Mm-hmm. right? And I'm now at the time have Alzheimer's and I'm going through this. So we have a strong conversation every month about these two things, which were very parallel in some ways. And uh, so, <laughs> being who I am, I said, you know, I said, you know enough about me, you know about my Alzheimer's. And I said, I, would you write a song? <laughs> <laughs> so, when I, I was talking to him today about that, and because uh, uh, I was... When we did our website for the show, we asked all the poets and all the artists why they're doing it and what they get out of it. Mm-hmm. And so when they asked my friend who did the uh, wrote the song, he said, "Well, he said Bob asked me to do it." <laughs> <laughs> and so here's what he said, and this is the gift of uh, this thing. He was struggling with it. Now, he, he, he wrote hundreds of songs, and some of them he wrote for money, but they all failed. And he found the only songs that were successful was when they came from some very deep part of himself. And so he was trying to figure out, how can I make a song about Alzheimer's? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's pretty wild. Mm-hmm. And he got the name. He got, the, he got this, out of, out of nowhere, he got those two words, Hello Light. Okay. So the song is about this. The song is Alzheimer's is a boogie, and light is 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 where it starts to where you start to come out of it. In a sense, it's positive. 
and so it goes back and forth like that, you know, and, uh, uh, and I don't have, you know, it, it, it's a very moving song and, uh, it's a happy song, which is kind of weird in a mm-hmm. lot of ways. And so, so that's how I got him going. And my, my doctor who is, uh, I asked her if she'd do a video <laughs> of this because the whole theme of the show is to get an early diagnosis so you have time to prepare and time to develop during that period of time. And so she was a little hesitant at first, but then I persisted, and so she agreed that she would do the uh, the video for me. Mm-hmm. So I had a young guy from, uh, and I, through my hunting again, a young guy from Yukon just graduated in art. And somehow or other, I got his name, and he agreed to do the video. I don't know. Who he, I didn't know how he was going to do it. He was excellent. This young guy had her had her in the palm of his hand while he was asking these difficult questions, and her face was so tuned in, so tuned into this that the, the expression was of the honesty was coming through. And then, I mean, I could go on in this. But, the video, then with the Alzheimer's Association, they know a professional videographer. Mm-hmm. And so he got into the act. And he was able to take the video that we did in a half hour, reduce it to 15 minutes, and make it so powerful it was unbelievable. Is and there so a we, way to view it? Or well, it's going to cost you, honey. It's going to cost you. Okay. <laughs> no. No, 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 no. No, the, the actual video is not done yet. Uh, what he did for us was a uh, promo. And he took, like, what he did, he interviewed me for three hours. And he picked out of three hours probably 20 words. He was a, a, he was a, a successful, he's a young guy, 50 years old, successful uh, art uh, uh, advertising person that could do ads. Mm-hmm. And he could take a pile of, he could take an hour, three hours of what he talked, asked me about, and took this, and this is no more than two minutes. Mm-hmm. And in that two minutes, he took the most powerful words that I, I didn't even know I said <laughs> over the three hours. Mm-hmm. So here we had that talent, right? And so, so, uh, then uh, it, it's now coming to a point where we got to do it or get off the pot. You know, you can't keep saying we're going to, going to, going to. And so uh, this is when I started getting involved with the Alzheimer's Association, research, uh, resource association. And uh, they got excited about it. And so here's, now I'm retired. I have, a, I have an old computer and I have a printer. There's no way that I can do all this in myself. So these people got very excited about it, right? And so all of them had their own talents. And so for five months, the the fifth month, I spent a lot of time talking to them and making different changes and doing that sort of thing. And then finally it comes to the point where, okay, we've got to find a theater. And so we found a theater. Uh, it was it's part of a art school and it's a nice theater 
And so it was all agreed we'd have that theater. But what happened about a week before we set a time uh, to do it in Cheshire, um, I mean, this was in Hartford. But then we found this guy, when we went to do the practice, he's going to charge us big bucks. <laughs> we don't have any money. So Michael Smith, who's the director of the Alzheimer Resource, says, let me call this uh, a theater that's part of a large elderly complex where they treat people with dementia and all that. So and it's very ritzy. It's where the top 1% go. You and I would never make it there. But they have this most beautiful new theater. In a week's time, you got that theater for us for nothing. So we got all our people that wanted to come. We, actually, the way the, the, the show was, uh, there was only a few, most of them were up in the stage and speaking or reading. So there's not a lot of practice involved. We just made sure that there was somebody that would stand in to hold our hand and say, okay, now you're on. Mm-hmm. Come back, you know, that sort of thing. So there were only about four people that had to be at the at the practice. And we had three different practices, and there were a lot of changes. And I was pretty stubborn in some of them. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so then uh, comes the big night, or big afternoon, actually. We decided to do it in the afternoon because a lot of people, it was, it was, this was in October, mm-hmm. and it was starting to get dark, and we wanted to make sure that people who were older could come. And so it was 2, 2 to 4.30. It turned out to be a two-hour show. And uh, then a 15-minute break. Mm-hmm. We went there twice, and we had stand-ins to read the different poetry and, the, and the, what, the, what the artists would do. And uh, the musician, the professional musician, was with us all the time because he's done this so many times. He gave us so much powerful information on how to do this. So here's how it went. I got up and talked about Bob Savage and my and what I told you, my introduction. Mm-hmm. And then we had a uh, uh, a person, an early stage, a woman, and and she's living with her with her sister. And she gave up some big stuff in New York City, but now she's living here. But and so the 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 niece was willing to talk about the caregiver relationship within that family. And so what happened was I got up and talked. Then I introduced them. They each had five minutes to talk about their relationship, and that set the tone. They did a wonderful job. That sort of set the tone of the honesty, right? Mm-hmm. And then we showed the video from the doctor, and then uh, then I had a friend of mine who wrote a poem about me. Mm-hmm. And uh, following, like I've known him for eight years, but he was able to, from the point he knew he had Alzheimer's, when he knew he had Alzheimer's, his poem was about that. And how he saw, he saw the, in my downtime, he saw all those things. And, and uh, he, it ended up a very positive thing. Then there was a young man who I got friends with who had a brain tumor who had dementia. Or he was afraid of having dementia because he was afraid he might lose it. And he was a very intelligent young man. And so I met him at a party, and then I, I finally we got to be very close. We used to meet quite frequently during, we were going through the same period of time of depression, and so he, we were coming out of it. It was very similar to my case and his case. And so uh, he wrote a beautiful poem about this. And he couldn't be there. This was a year after. He couldn't be, tell me why he couldn't be there because he's now going back to college in New York City, 
and he was running the marathon with his father. <laughs> okay. I mean, so my wife read the poem, his poem. And then there's another guy, who, uh, this friend of mine, a woman who uh, is a poet herself, and uh, she she sent a note to this uh, the poet laureate, state poet laureate, saying this is this show is something. So I got a, a note from him saying I'd like to join, and I said, well, how the hell, how am I going to deal with that? Because I don't want a poet state lord laureate taking over the show. Mm-hmm. So I, after a week of struggling, I sent him a, a, uh, a email saying, because I knew him because I followed the poetry in the local area, and I said, you know, I said, uh, I've been very careful in selecting the people who are participating are either having Alzheimer's or have it in their family, have a close association with it. And so I didn't hear from him for two years, two weeks. Then mm-hmm. he comes back and he says, you know, he said, my father had Alzheimer's when he died. Now, here's a poet. He's mm-hmm. published at least eight books in poetry. Uh-huh. He says, you know, I have never written anything about my relationship with father and his, uh, his Alzheimer's. And he wrote a special poem for this. Oh, how nice. How nice. It was it was beautiful. It was just beautiful. Now, Bob, it sounds like you're going to be reproducing this again. Is that correct, this spring? Yeah, uh, we, it's all set again to go at a museum of all places in, okay. in Mattertuck. And it's April 20th, and uh, they're all excited about it, and it's definite. And you know what's exciting? I think we have 20 people involved in this thing. Every one of them is going to go to Waterbury that day. Oh, wonderful. That's so wonderful. That's, in other words, it's, you know, my message, I'm a little, little insecure. <laughs> <laughs> if they would have said, I ain't going, I said, well, I know why. <laughs> so, well, so anyway, Bob, this thing is, is going very well. Now, Bob, I, I just want to give out your contact information. Um, that's, if anybody wants to talk to Bob Savage, they should... T- uh, go to Stephanie or go to the Alzheimer's Research. They have a little special list of stuff, mm-hmm. and then I'll call everybody. Okay. Sounds well, Bob, it was a pleasure to meet you and hear from you. It's a, you're doing some oh, I sort of, work. I, I feel kind of embarrassed. That, not really embarrassed, but I feel selfish that I took so much time. No, nope. you know, we had we had an hour to talk to you. That's exactly what we wanted to do. So yeah. very much appreciate it. So you can get the contact information off the um the radio page and yeah. um and Paul Ann, thank you so much for joining us. I really uh truly appreciate your input um on this as well. In the meantime, I just want to highlight a couple of um of program information. Um, if you haven't listened to the last couple of shows, you might want to look those up. All of our shows are archived, but we uh, talked with uh, Romania and it was a really interesting conversation of the difference in terms of barriers and bridges between Romania and America and um, how how somebody over there is really working very hard um, to... to um, improve services, um, basically through both sides. Uh, we also talked with, uh, <clears throat> with a person, it was titled living a full life with Alzheimer's and others dementias, and then tips for survival strength and patients, um, with dementia. So ch- go ahead and check those shows out. I also want to let you know, if you're not familiar with our station here, alive and social, uh, one of my favorite shows is, um, is with Rachel Perrin, who is the culinary director here for Kowalski's Market, along with her producer and sidekick, Adam Lee. 
And every week they talk about um, all different types of seasonal flavors and foods and trending topics regarding nutrition um, in an episode called What's for Dinner. And I love it because it's a short podcast. It's usually only 10 to 15 minutes long. But it's great if you're hungry and you're trying to figure out what to do for dinner. And you can also get great menu um, suggestions on their website, kowalskis.com. And that's www.kowalskis.com. I also want to mention our last Dementia Chats, which is a video where I interview people uh, who have dementia. They are actually the ones with uh, that are experts in this, so why not have a conversation with them? Paul Ann Gordon, uh, who was my co-host today, is one of those individuals. And we had a great conversation about moving and construction and remodeling and how that can really affect somebody living with dementia. I think you'll find their insights fascinating, and you'll probably be making a few changes if you are doing any remodeling or shuffling around your home. Um, people are also always asking me about where am I going to be um, doing screenings of His Neighbor Film, and I'll be in Woodbury January 7th at St. Therese. On uh, January 26th, I will be out in Vadness Heights at Gable uh, Pines, and then I will be in Shearville, Indiana on February 13th. Um, let's see, and I'm going to be in Illinois on the 14th and 15th, and then I'll be back in... Uh, Woodbury in March and also May with with more coming up. So always keep in mind um, uh, the the screenings of His Neighbor Phil, or maybe that's something you want to contact me about. I also uh, last wanted just to mention the Memory Cafe directory, which is provided by Calendar Cards. And Dave gave me some stats there. Right now there's 229 entries um, in most states in the U.S. are represented. We know that we're still missing um, many, but the top states were Wisconsin actually has 44 memory cafes. Texas came in with a second at 23, California and Washington each 15, and New York with 14. So, um, find that all really exciting news. In the meantime, um, have a wonderful 2017, and uh, we will have our next show this Thursday, the 5th. Talk to you soon. Bye, everyone. Well, hi, I'm Lori LeBay, and I wanted to tell you about Alzheimer's Speaks, which is another great podcast. You see, my own mother lived with dementia for 30 years, and I felt lost. Did you know every three seconds someone in the world is being diagnosed with dementia? Odds are it's going to hit your families, too. We want to help you connect to services, products, tools, research, and stories so you can be prepared. Please subscribe to Alzheimer's Speaks on your favorite podcast platform.